being from 2 Timothy chapter 2, 14 to 26. <laughs> Keep reminding people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about the words. It is for no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are humanists and philatists who have departed from the truth. They say that resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord those knows who those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse them, cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments of special pur purposes, made wholly useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faithful love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Does, does have... Don't have anything to do with foolish or and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them re represents leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them to captive, do, do his will. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad that, uh, that Billy had you guys all warmed up there, so uh, thanks, Billy, for doing that. Uh, I want to start by wishing everybody a belated Happy Canada Day. I hope that you were able to, to use the holiday to get together with your family and friends. And, and if you weren't, but you're here today, well, you're amongst family now, aren't you? And that's a great thing. And, and my wife and I, uh, we're very privileged to be here again. And we always feel that, that we are, that we are part of a family when we come, come in here. And that, that is a commendable thing. And so I want to thank you guys for, for that warm welcome and that encouragement uh, that we continually get. Now, since he's not here, and I trust that none of you will utter a word to him, I want to express how much I really enjoyed Miles' sermon last week. I thought Miles did a great job, as he always does, as everyone does who, come up, who comes up here. But I really liked the lesson that he had. If you remember, it was led to lead. How God has equipped us and put us in a position that we can help lead others to him. He used the example from Acts 8, Philip and the eunuch. And so I kind of wanted to piggyback off of that for this week's lesson. Now I want to play a little game to start. Now this is the pilot episode, okay? And you guys are the first contestants. This is special, okay? Now I'm the creator of the game and uh, my genius only goes so far, so it's rather simple. What you see up on the picture behind me is four telephones with four lines to them. Now the game is so new that it doesn't actually even have 
a title yet. I, I was thinking, kind of brainstorming something along the lines of like, you know, whose line is it anyway, something like that. But I think it's got a good ring to it. Uh, I'm surprised no one maybe has, hasn't used that one before. But, but the game is it's off to a really rough start. See, how the game works is that you, the contestants, you're going to sit there and the phone's going to ring. You're going to pick it up and you're supposed to guess the mystery voice on the other end. But, you know, we are having a hard time finding anyone of reputable fame to be our guest caller. So we've had to, you know, it is a sad thing. I know we're we've had to really alter the the bones of the game and it's no longer audio it's going to be visual so i'm gonna i'm gonna flash a picture of four gentlemen on the screen here you just have to tell me tell me after the sermon if you got it right you just got to guess who they are okay remember god's watching no lies and if you do get it right remember this is a low budget show right so the prizes may uh, reflect that accordingly uh, the host can't even get a proper jacket that fits so here we go these are statues or busts of four men. So make a little mental note or, or jot it down who you think they are. While you're thinking about it, before I reveal, I'll give you a little bit, a little bit of uh, context on them here. They're all thought of as successful leaders. The world, when they look at these guys, they say they were successful at what they did. Another thing that they have in common is that they were generals. They, they were military men. They weren't afraid to, you know, bruise in there and, and establish dominance, to impose their will. And so I wonder if, if that is how we get the definition of leader, how the world defines a leader as someone who's able to, to take control. You know, these guys, if they wanted something, they were able to lead their countries or their people because they had the force to do it. They weren't afraid of confrontation. In fact, sometimes they, want, they went out and, and they seeked it out. It's no surprise then that I think like the Jewish nation, what did they think of, of that the Messiah was going to be? They thought the Messiah was going to be, be an earthly ruler. Come from the Davidic line. Come from David's seed. Right? And in a sense, that's true. But they looked at David and they said, hey, he was a conqueror. He, he took Jerusalem, named the city after himself. This is the kind of ruler he is. He's going to rule here on earth. And sadly, because of that thinking, they actually missed the, the Messiah who was right there. Jesus, who was right amongst their mists. So this is how the world defines leadership, I think. And, and is, is that how the Christian is supposed to lead? Is the, is the Christian supposed to take the gospel and really just thrust it down the throat of anybody? You know, get in arguments. Really establish themselves that way. Is that, is that how we are supposed to lead? I don't know if it is. I'm hoping that, that as we go through the lesson today, we can really see how the Christian's supposed to lead in leading Christians and non-Christians. The answer, of course, going left to right, I believe on your screen there, would be Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, and Napoleon. So again, come see me after and we'll see if we can negotiate something if we haven't been pulled off the air already by then. The title for the, mess, uh, for the sermon today is The Down and Out Leader. And you might think that, oh yeah, I really want to be one of those. That sounds super strong, Russ. That, that sounds actually quite wimpy. Um, I'm hopeful by the end of this lesson that we will see that the down and out leader is actually the strongest kind of leader that we can be. Our objective today is to better equip ourselves to handle 
the different situations that arise on the spiritual battlefields. The situations that occur in the world, but not handling it the way that the world would want us to, but handling it in a way that God would. Our goal for everyone, to borrow from the last two verses that, that Jason read there for us today, our goal for everyone is, is for them to find repentance, to realize that they need to repent, so that they can acquire more knowledge and build on their knowledge, and, because that is the only way that, that someone is going to escape the snare of the devil, that we find ourselves entrapped. I think it's important to spend a little bit of time on the range of this sermon. A little bit of context, as I usually like to give. This letter, 2 Timothy, is the second letter to Timothy, as you can guess. Along with the epistle to Titus, those three letters make up what uh, commentators refer to as the pastoral epistles. The pastoral letters, because they are jam-packed with direct instruction and encouragement for Timothy, for Titus, and for those who are in that role. Ministers, pastors, evangelists. Leaders. And you might say, Russ, that's a very narrow scope. I, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, a minister. I would say, ah, en contraire. Do we not remember that, that all Christians are involved in ministry? To be a minister, you don't just have to stand from the front week in and week out and deliver a message. Certainly that's part of it and an important part of it. But as Christians, we all have individual ministries that we are involved in, that we use our gifts in. Ministries of hospitality, of outreach, counseling. The praise and worship, the deaconary work, food preparation, all these things all fall under the heading of ministry. And I think Paul helps us out a little bit from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where he says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. He expands on that a little more a little later on in verse 27. He says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has Appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kind of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Of course, man has broken up the chapter, but if we would continue on to the next one, chapter 13, and if you've ever been to a wedding before, you will, you'll hear what this, this higher gift that we are desire is. It is love, right? Love is patient, love is kind, and it goes on to list all the attributes. And so I want us to be thinking today that, well, you know, you may not feel gifted in, in, in one certain area that, that love is the focus. That is the overarching theme that we want to remember, not on the individual gift so much itself, but by what we can accomplish through loving one another. The context in this passage, to fly through it very quickly, Paul is warning Timothy. He's giving him instruction and encouragement against a false teaching that has entered his group here. It actually says at the, or at the very end of verse 14, it says that hearing these, these words and quarreling about them is only bringing ruin to the hearers. The original language has that word, catastrophe. Wayne will correct me on it if I'm wrong like last time. <laughs> can, can you guess what, what that word translates to in the English, the catastrophe? It's bringing their ruin to catastrophe. It's not a good thing. That is not, not where you want your faith to dwell. 
in the realm of catastrophe. So it's not a good thing, and, and Paul has to address it here. And he's saying, avoid irreverent babble in verse 16 there. So in, avoid worldly and empty chatter, because all it does is lead to further ungodliness. This talk can spread like gangrene. Gangrene is not as common today as it once was, but it is a flesh-eating disease that some say it actually had an odor to it. It stinks. You know, the, the modernized that would be like an aggressive cancer working through our body. It, it keeps going, and it doesn't bring us to a better state normally. It just makes things worse. Paul says that, that this is not just some hypothetical thing. There's actually people who, who were of our number that are doing this. He says, Hymenaeus and Philetus. You know, these guys have swerved from the truth. Verse 19, he says, not to worry, though. He says, the foundation, God's plan, the church, that is solid, Timothy. That is solid. But how frustrating it must have been for Paul and for Timothy. And any preacher who sees their their sheep being led away by false teaching in the wrong direction. Paul highlights this, or sorry, not Paul. Luke highlights this. Uh, in Acts 20, and he says that ravenous wolves will come. I think it might be Paul talking there. Luke writing. And he says ravenous wolves will come in after he leaves. So what are we to do when, when those kind of things happen? How is Timothy supposed to deal with these falsities? How is he supposed to deal with, with those who wish to cause fights and division? How is he supposed to deal with those who are ensnared? In the devil's trap. How do, how do we today deal with these things? I mean, aren't, aren't the battle lines clearly drawn? The church, the Christians on one side versus the, the heathens, the world, the non-Christians on the other. I mean, Paul talks about fighting the good fight, right? What are all these, these, this armor that he mentions in Ephesians 6? How do we strap that on and go to war against these people that, that, that are not of our number? I hope you can tell that I'm not seriously talking about putting that that armor on i I know that it uh, is not meant in that way by paul but imagine being timothy and hearing all this okay you're a young man and the weight of this situation surely would have been intimidating right maybe timothy was that tim was short for not timothy but but timid you know maybe he needed some encouraging to to kind of come out of that paul reminds him that he was not given a spirit of that He gives him simple instruction. He says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. The word in the original language for flee there is actually where the word fugitive is derived from. Timothy is to be elusive. From these kind of things. He is to escape the youthful passions, the lusts of the world, the pride of life. He's to get away from them, the things, not the people. Don't get wrapped up in worldly arguments, Timothy. Your focus is on winning souls, leading people to the Lord, helping them stay there. You know, being touched touch down with your congregation so you know what's going on, having a finger on the pulse. You know, you're not to worry about winning these arguments and wrangling about words that actually have no godly value. But to say all that, our, our question still kind of remains at this point, doesn't it? How, how does a Christian combat such disturbances? How do we lead our opponents to a saving relationship in Christ? 
Well, we get our answer in the next verse and a half, and that is where we will spend the majority of our time today. It says this in 2 Timothy 2, 24, in the beginning of 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now, I don't know if I like that right off the top. Not quarrelsome. Come on, it's easy to be quarrelsome. We can't argue back when someone's saying something that is clearly wrong, clearly false, clearly hurtful. Paul, don't you know that these worldly arguments, they're such a danger to the church, and not only to the church, but, but they're a danger to those who are outside the church, those who, who don't yet have a relationship with God. They hear these things too, and, and it doesn't really bring them in a closer relationship or, or a spot where they want to seek God out. It just kind of affirms what they already think. These things are dangerous, Paul. Don't you understand that? How much would we like to go up to our agnostic or atheist friend and and grab them by the shoulders and say, what don't you understand about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life? You know, take them by a swimming pool, dunk them in there. That's what we'd like to do sometimes. It'd be easier because we care about people. We care about our friends and family who are are of, of this thinking. We want what's best for them, but... But, but how do we convey that in a godly way? Paul teaches Timothy and us to lead in a way that looks different from what the world would define as leadership. I want to explain, explain the title, the down and out leader, because right now the down and out leader, he sounds pretty down and out. You know, he's, he's not a factor right now. You all, I'm sure, have heard sermons referencing the, the head, the heart, and the hands. How we put those things together to, to really grow our faith, and that is how our faith is effective and, and seen. Today, I really want to focus on the hands, the, the action of our faith. The first one, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. We're going to talk about the down part of the down and out leader right now. Have you ever been to a fight of some kind, like a boxing or an MMA event, or maybe you like watching that UFC, so, so you order it on pay-per-view. What, what happens right before the fight? You say, well, Russ, that's vague. There's a lot of things that happen. Uh, the fighters walk out to their favorite songs to the ring. The microphone f- comes down from the ceiling as the announcer, Bruce Buffer, stands there, and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble. Right? That's what he'll do. He won't do it as good as that, but he'll try. <laughs> but that's what happens. That, that's not the point, though. After that, they ring the bell and the fighters come together. And what do they do? They just stand there like this, kind of ducking and weaving. No, no, they don't do that. They get their hands up. Okay? If you, if you took, has anyone here ever taken like boxing lessons or anything like that? Few people like to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. I see why in the back. Okay, cool. No one else, though. All right. And, and tell me if I'm right. Is one of the first things they teach you, you know, put your dukes up? Is that one of the things that's most important? You know, protect the, the spot that's going to put you down if you get hit? Having your hands up is both an offensive and defensive strategy. So let's look at the offensive side of it. The instruction from, from the apostle here is to have our hands down when we're dealing with these, these worldly conversations. The servant of the Lord is not to fuel the fire of these debates by injecting themselves offensively in a, in a fiery way, in a belittling way, in a way that really is, is not going to, you know, maintain a relationship, but, but has the, the, you know, the, 
the badness about it, to say it on the way of, of separating it. That's not, that's not what we are supposed to be doing. Has anyone ever tried to convince someone of their point of view in an argument with someone who, who was of the opposing view? Did you go in there, guns a-blazing, and being like, oh, your idea is, you know, like, one of the, the dumbest things I've ever heard? And did they just go like, oh, yeah, you're right, huh? <laughs> How did I not see that before? No, usually it, it causes a bit of resentment, and it grows the divide. And so we're not supposed to be on the offensive in that manner. We're supposed to have our hands down. The other reason is defensive. Okay, but you might say, oh, Russ, hold on. Apostle Peter... He has something different to say. He says, First Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And I agree wholeheartedly with Peter. That's a great opportunity to tell of our faith when, when we have that, that chance to speak of our hope. We have to be ready to make an offense, an, uh, a defense there. Apologetics. But there's more to that verse. Does he say, do it with... You know, extreme force and pushiness and don't take no for an answer. No, he, he says, anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you, be ready to give a defense, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That is what I mean when we talk about the down, having our hands down in that matter. See, le- leading this way doesn't mean we're hiding, doesn't mean we're weak and just standing there and just getting rocked by shots. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that we are contending for the faith in the way that the Lord would have us do it. So that's the down portion of the down and out. But what about, what about the out? Well, we've got four qualities, four traits, four things that we want to extend and give out. Our hands are, are not clenched to ourselves. No, we are giving these qualities out. We are extending them. We are sharing these fruits with the world. We'll talk about them now. The first one is kindness. Okay? Or gentleness. Uh, they're a synonym of one another. Actually, in, in this verse here, there is a, a variant in the manuscripts. Now, I'm sure we're all very sick and tired of hearing the word variant. But there is a variant in the manuscripts here. Um, so there's just some, some debate as to what word was, was the original word. Uh, okay, and th- this word only appears one other time, this adjective. And it's, it's Paul writing again in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 7. And so I'm hoping that if we can look at that, we can get a better uh, grasp and understanding um, of what he's talking about here. The, the text um, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 says this. It's Paul writing, says, But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. The variant there is the, is the, is the same kind um, of one that we see here in our text today. And it would substitute the word gentle. So instead of what we prove to be gentle among you, it actually substitutes it for the word infant. So something like, but we prove to be as infants among you. And the same thing here. It would be like, in, be, be as an infant to, to everyone. And so I can kind of understand that some of the traits of an infant. An infant is, is not combative normally. No, they're... You know, usually quite, quite simple and, and quite, you know, friendly for the most part. And so I think, I think they get it right when they, use, when they use the term gentle here. But I really like the end of, of 1 Thessalonians 2.7 where it says, But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. How does a mother care for her children? 
does she dribble them around like a basketball all rough? No, no one likes the sound of a crying baby, so, so why make them cry? No, a mother is caring. A mother is gentle. A mother is loving. And so the thrust of this be kind here is to be amicable. Be mild. Have a friendly demeanor to you. The rest of it says be kind to everyone or be kind to all. It's easy to be, to be kind in here to everyone that, you know, we agree with. You know, this, this is our brothers and sisters here. So that's easy. The challenge is when we have to take that into the world and be kind and show that to everyone, not just within the church. The next point here, able to teach. Here's where we might really feel the scope of the context kind of close in on us a little bit here. In the same way Paul lays out qualifications for, for elders, there are certain qualities or gifts that different positions in ministry are better off to have, right? Someone like Timothy, he's in that position of, of being a pastor, a minister, an evangelist, someone in that public-facing role where he doesn't only have to understand God's word, but he needs to be able to convey it. He needs to be able to, to share it with the flock, to help them grasp it. He needs to be able to preach and teach it. And as we read before, that, that all aren't given to be teachers, right? And, and that is true. But at the same time, everyone needs to be taught. We all need to learn. We all do learn. If you've come to this point, you've learned enough to get here, which is great. We all do need to learn. But, but what if we're just not a teacher? What if we just don't have that gift? What can we do about that? Do we just, you know, th- throw this part of the down and out to the side? I don't think we do. Think, think of how people learn. I bet you that within this room there are you know, five or six different ways that, that people learn. It's not all going to be the same. I like this illustration here. Uh, there, there's actually a lot of them that were exactly the same, but this one's from SundaySchoolLeader.com. Uh, I don't know much about the website, but I did, like, I did like this illustration. And so you see there the retention rate, the arrow pointing up. The lowest is reading. So people learn from reading something. Okay. But how much do they retain? Well, it's kind of at the bottom of the triangle. What about hearing? You know, I hope, I hope some of what I'm saying today is maybe being retained, but I understand that that's closer to the bottom as well. What about seeing? This is the one I think for, for those of us who don't feel like we can teach, I think this is where we can come in here. People can see how we conduct ourselves. Was there not a story a couple weeks ago when Jay was up here, and it was Tyler, I think he used as the example, something that happened at his work. Tyler, nod with me if that's true. Dealing with a customer, something along those lines. The customer or his co-workers saw that. I don't think Tyler was, you know, giving a sermon on the job, which if you can do that, great. But I think he, he was just living the Christian life. But someone saw that. And so they seen and hear it because now they come and they have a conversation with him. Now you're discussing it. Now we're learning more. You know, maybe at first it was the person say, you know, someone's getting lit up over the counter over a wrong order. And maybe they just see the way someone reacts to them. The employee is, is apologetic, but they're kind. They're not combative. Now they've experienced that and they're like, wow. How come you're doing that? That's how leadership can grow, can look like. The best way, of course, to retain something is to teach it to someone else. You know, you want to be a, a little bit above that elementary level of something if you're going to share it with someone else. 
And so all these ways, we can see that we don't have to be, to be up here standing at the front teaching, that that is necessary for certain, but that we can all be teachers. And sometimes literally without even actually sharing a word. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul to Timothy says, Let no one look down on your youthful, youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. In speech, Timothy, yes, show yourself that way. But in your conduct, how you are, in your love, in your faith, in your purity, do those things. You know, teaching is the method, how we convey our message. And God's word is the material. I hope the next skill that that we look at is going to help us. You know, it's not easy. We're talking about it here and... And, and when you just listen to it, it's easy, but when it comes time for the rubber to hit the road, it can be hard. We may get into a combative conversation with someone, and we may feel like cutting them down, right? That's just natural. But I want to remind us that, that God's word is actually sharp enough to do any cutting, right? The Hebrew writer tells us that, and he says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces right down past the bone and the marrow to the soul and the spirit, the spot where teaching needs to hit home to really take effect. That's where we want our teaching to reach. We're getting there. Patiently enduring evil. So I have a story here. This is the south side of my house. And you see that big grass, or the, the spot where there is no grass, that big patch of dirt? There was a bush there. We were tired of it. The bush is gone. That was about a month and a half ago. And so I, I never had planted any seed there or anything. I hadn't done anything. So you see where the stop sign is there. If you drew a horizontal line across there, you would be following the route that a fiber company came by when they were pushing their fiber optic lines. And in my front yard, if you drew a a vertical line from that patch, there is a junction box there. And so the patch is roughly the same size, but and so they disturb the earth, right? They have to put in this junction box, ground level flush, and so they disturb the earth. And about a week after they did that, they came back, and put seed down around the area that they had disturbed. <laughs> so me and Ash were laughing, when we, and to our surprise, we looked out the window, and we see that our patch where the bush was is all seeded. Now, I, I, I think the guys must have obviously made a mistake. They thought that, I guess, they had disturbed the earth here, and because uh, they did no digging there. That was all me. But I guess they thought that, that that was them, that they had come down this way and done a push, and so they came by and seeded it. And Ash was kind of laughing at me, saying, that is so lazy of you. (laughs) And I said, no, no, baby, (laughs) that's patience, honey, that's patience. Just waiting for someone else to do it. (laughs) I give that example because it's actually a very poor example, and it is actually laziness. She was right. She was right, because that is laziness, but that is not the kind of patience that we're talking about here when we talk about patiently enduring evil. I appreciate the the ESV here, the way that, that it handles it. Uh, this is a unique word. Uh, the adjective is only used once in the New Testament. Uh, a lot of translations will have it as patient when wrong, which is right. But I appreciate the, the evil part of it. That just shows us how far this patience should go for the Christian leader. It's not a regular patience. Okay, it's not you standing in line in a hurry, tapping your foot while grandma there is, is pulling out every penny and coupon and you're just like, come on already, like, let's go. No, that's, that's not that kind of patience. It's much more than that. It is a patience that is not resentful. 
when wronged? How easy is it to be when someone says something hurtful to us or someone we love? You know, it's natural to be to just kind of chill up about them and, and, and want to turn your back. Paul's saying that this is something that Timothy would have to endure. And we know that that patience is a fruit of the Spirit, right? So we see that this message is, is for all Christians. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit. It is part of the article of clothing that we put on that Paul writes about when we put on Christ in Colossians. Okay? And think of the patience of God. How thankful are you for the patience of God? Really? He waited so long for you. How thankful are you that he didn't send his son back before you had time to obey the gospel? I mean, that, that, that is huge. We should count ourselves so fortunate that we've come to that realization already. And think about it. Before we were Christians, we repeatedly wronged God. Now, as Christians, as his children, we still repeatedly wrong him. You know, he, he would be justified in getting a little bitter at us, right? But when we came to him for the first time, and when we come to him for forgiveness, each time we slip up after, where are his hands? Are they balled up and his back turned to us? No, no. His hands are out. They're stretched out to receive you. That's a special thing. Having this kind of patience, this might be one of the most difficult things of this list. But conducting ourselves in such a way, that is really going to maintain a relationship. And I bet you it will strengthen it in the end. Paul doesn't want just Timothy to, to have this message. He actually gives a similar one to the Romans. In Romans 12.12, he says, you've got to be patient in affliction, in tribulation. You've got to persevere. This is the kind of patient... Patience, that is an endurance. It is holding our ground, and it is not a weakness. It takes tremendous strength and sets a tremendous example. We're on to the last one here, mercifully. Beginning of verse 25, Timothy is to correct his opponents with gentleness. This is, but what this whole passage has shown me is that, that Timothy is not to be some weakling pushed around. He's not to be tolerant or compromising of the truth. No. But he's, he's called and tasked with correcting those who are peddling these dangerous thoughts and ideas. Who, who, who loves doing that? Does anyone have a, a job or a position where, where they have to break the bad news to someone who's doing something wrong? Does anyone really like stay up at night like with anticipation of, ooh, I can't wait to break them down the next day you know, and correct them? I think a lot of us would be quite the opposite. We'd be up at night because we're dreading having to do that. That's, that's such a hard conversation. It's hard no matter what end you are on it, if you're the corrector or the, the one being corrected. These kind of conversations can quickly catch fire. They can quickly cause resentment. They can quickly cause confrontation. So we have to handle them in a certain way. Have any of you guys seen this movie here? This is not part of the game. Yeah, Sword in the Stone, I hear it. Yeah, I really like this, this cartoon version of it. And I love my favorite character, the owl. Archimedes, check it out if you haven't seen it. He is a hoot, you know. <laughs> yeah, get it? The owl's a hoot. It's a good show, though. And so I, whether it's a real story or not, I'm not actually sure. But it's a legend anyways where this sword is stuck in this anvil, this rock, and no one can pull it out. Even guys with arms as big as mine are not getting that sword out of the stone. But here comes this little pipsqueak there. Like, look at him. He's just swimming in that smock he's got on. And he gently removes the sword from the stone. Hence the worldly proverb, 
maybe from here, a gentle hand shall rule the land. Now, that is a worldly proverb, but we have something even better because it's a biblical proverb. In Proverbs 15, that begins and it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, we want to be civil. We want to correct people in a way that, that doesn't already add fuel to the fire, but we do it in a gentle, a loving, a kind way. We don't come at it as a know-it-all, but we come at it as humble. You know, we're not shrinking them and beating them down with the truth, but no, we're actually using it to build them up. It's the exact opposite. This verse tells me here, when it talks about correcting or educating opponents, that we are not to turn our backs on those who may not have it all right, who may not have the, the exact correct theology as us or any theology at all. But these are the people that, that need help, that need to be saved from the ensnarement of the devil. And we want to be conducting ourselves in a way, we want to be leading in a way where we can help them. We do that by practicing what we preach. Paul actually reminds Timothy that the word is his standard and his textbook. It's not from himself. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Before we read the final verse and a half here, I want to touch on a, on a verse that we just glossed over, and, and perhaps it is the most famous verse of this passage, that being 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourselves, approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We have to be ready to go to work. We have to be. It's not an, an easy thing. It's, it's, it's not just going to come overnight either, so it is work. But as we see through Scripture, God has prepared these works for his children. You know, going, teaching, baptizing, all these things. And we will find a lot more success in doing that if we hold ourselves to the same standard that Paul wanted for young Timothy. He knew how important the work was that Timothy was doing because Paul himself was doing it. It's equally as important for us today. I just want to read this last verse. It's fairly plain and simple, but I want it to be the motivation for why we lead with our hands down and out. I'm going to read the whole thing. uh, You'll just have uh, kind of a bit of 25 and 26 on the board, but it says 24 beginning. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps Grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. It's no secret that that God has patience, that he's wanting everyone to reach this level, to come to repentance. But before anyone can repent, they have to know. They have to know about Jesus. They have to know what he accomplished. That's the only way. That's our job, you know. We go out, and we share, and we help people get out of the snare. Oh, that's a bit of a rhyme there, not even, not even in my notes. The truth is that if you are not a slave of the Lord, that word, servant of the Lord, and slave, it's the same in the Greek, doulos. If you are not a slave of the Lord's, you're automatically then a slave of the devil's. It's one or the other. Okay? It's only one or the other. 
This text that we've looked at today, I believe it is certainly applicable to Christians everywhere. We see that many of these things that we're supposed to be extending to others are are fruits of the Spirit. They're part of the package that we put on when we put on Christ. But reading through it, it definitely gives me added appreciation for the work of those who are in that public-facing ministry. The ministers and the leaders, Jay and Miles, the guys do excellent work. I admire them tremendously. I love them both. And I think they do a great job. I see these qualities that we're talking about here in them. I see these qualities that we're talking about here in your elders, in your deacons. There's an activeness about this group that is very attractive. Let me tell you, from someone on the outside looking in. That's great. I see many who who are kind, who are gentle, who are humble, who practice patience. And I encourage you to continue that, but not only here, bring it outside, as I'm sure you do. But a little encouragement never hurts. Keep showing those traits, especially out in the world. Out in the world where there is a million different teachings, right? And we know that it can be a battle. But it's important work to try and set people free. So rewarding. There's lots of work to be done. So let's, let's take, as we close, let's take what we've learned from God's word here and use it to lead, use it to teach in a way that is kind, that is patient, that is gentle. It's good to be a down-and-out leader. It didn't sound like it off the top, but I hope that, that we've seen through the lesson today that that, that is what, the kind of leader that we want to be. That is our goal. That is our focus. To win souls and not arguments. Thank you guys again for your time today.